With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Here's Miller and Condon. Ken Miller. Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Miller and Condon, just past 10 o'clock on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. KXNO at 106.3 FM is Trent Condon and Ken Miller. And we're with you for the next couple of hours and appreciate you uh, spending some of your morning here with us as we talk sports with you. BMW of Des Moines guest list looks like this in about... Oh, 25 minutes, we're going to speak with Scott Dockerman. A lot of ground to cover with Doc. A little bit on the field of dreams as he covered it for The Athletic, but that story, you know, getting further and further in the rearview mirror. But kids' practice wasn't, uh, so we'll pick Doc's brain on what he saw, what he saw at Media Day on Friday, and then followed that up uh, Saturday at Kinnick Stadium as fans were allowed to watch practice media as well. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic at 1025. Mitch Holtis back from San Francisco. Well, I guess technically, Santa Clara. Uh, he will join us in his spot at 10.50. We'll uh, recap the uh, first preseason game for the Chiefs and take a look ahead to the week with the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, Mitch Holtis. Mondays mean... Well, for a couple more anyways. <laughs> at 11.05, we're going to speak with Matt Snyder. I can see very easily that gets pushed back uh, to Tuesdays here. But Mondays for the time being, Matt Snyder, Trent, and I will talk baseball as we move into the final couple of weeks of the month of August. And at 11.30, we will uh, catch up with our friend Matt Postens, who not only covers the Big 12 for HeartlandSports.com, uh, but also the Cowboys under one of the SI umbrellas. So Matt Postens will join us at uh, 11.30 talk Big 12 and uh, some of the goings-on uh, with some of the other uh, schools as they get set for... Do they have an early game? I don't think they do before Labor Day weekend. Do they? Don't Nothing they? jumps to mind at the very they least. Do, Trent. If it is, it might be a versus Sam Houston State kind of thing. Uh, I'm looking at the, the uh, first weekend of the schedule. They don't. The Thursday, they do not play. Uh, Friday, they do not play. So they won't start until Saturday. Easy enough, right? It indeed is easy enough. So Matt Poston's on the Big 12 that um, yeah, had another disappointing uh, revelation come their way. This past uh, Friday, right? Yeah. Uh, Friday? The, the Big 12 schedule kicks off Friday night. Kansas versus South Dakota. Friday night what? Oh, okay. There's no TV, though. It's no. ESPN Plus, I think. Yes. I think it's ESPN Plus. Yes, you're That's right. how you get your Big 12 slate started. South Dakota and Kansas. Coyotes, Jayhawks, get well, your tickets. Do you remember how it last, uh, started last year? Wasn't Coastal Carolina, Kansas, yes. on opening night of the Big 12? When the Sun Belt won the Invitational. The Sun Belt had a big weekend that weekend, yeah, with three wins. Yeah. Uh, so we, uh, we we do have a game, but still. It's, well, do we? It's Kansas. Right. Uh, anyways, uh, so uh, over the weekend, you've got to be giddy for what you saw, your Chicago Bears and the franchise, who got his first indoctrination into the world of real NFL, not real 
real NFL games, but an NFL game. Um, Trent, you have to be giddy, man. It was. And the game starts out. I'm watching the game. So my sister was in town with her boyfriend. Big Browns fan, lives in Cleveland. And uh, he's like, are you excited? And I kind of explained, I'm not the most optimistic fan. I'm usually pretty pessimistic. And as the first couple of fields drives are happening after he takes over for Dalton, and it's pretty uneven. Yeah, the first couple, that, right. Especially that first one. Yeah, they went backwards, right? The and I said, one? yeah, yeah. It's preseason. It's no big deal. And then the next couple drives happen. Yeah. And he gets the drive at the end of the half to get them the field goal. And mm, there's something there. And then another drive and a touchdown drive and some throws and some runs. And <laughs> and I'm getting pumped up and I... And he goes to me, Trent, it's only preseason. I said, I know, I know. But I haven't been excite, as excited as I was for a preseason game to see that unfold. Maybe ever. I can't think of yeah. a time that is something like that has happened for my team. Watching the guy and watching him at that kind of level. Because as pessimistic as I am, you know, this guy has me revved up. And you're excited about him. And every single person I talk to... Even people that aren't Bears fans look at him and say, it's not can't miss, because can't misses are few and far between. Mm-hmm. But there's a really good chance this one's going to hit. Right, right. The can't miss coming out or going into last year's draft was Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. He's the can't miss and has and was since he walked onto campus at Clemson. Fields is really gifted. I, I can't wait to watch the progression. We saw for got a little taste of it on Saturday. Now how is Matt Nagy going to handle it? Because what uh, Justin Fields is doing, he is ratcheting it up. Uh, and the back and forth amongst the fan base. Uh, is and and some of the media. I mean, a lot of the media are already on board. This. I mean, Cappy com- compared it to sex for crying out loud. Um, this is this, this is how you Bears fans feel. I get it. I I get it. You've got a quarterback. Uh, at least you've got hope. And if you don't have a quarterback, you do not have any of all the quarterbacks that played this weekend. I tro- I know Trey Lance made one throw. Trend. I watched most of that. Uh, a lot of that game. As did I. And. He was okay, but you know what? He looked like a rookie a lot of times. Okay, I think, is even maybe a yeah. little nice. Now, if he wouldn't have had that one big play, and he did, so that's unfair to take it out. Yeah. But that one big play got everybody excited, but the the rest of the body of work? Eh. Uneven? Well, I, yes, at best. Looked like a guy that mm-hmm. has played, what, one game in a year right. and a half? Right. Zach Wilson? Eh. Yeah, yeah. Mac Jones? Eh. Justin Fields? Ding, ding, ding. That was good. That did was you, really good. Did you see, other than highlights, anything of Lawrence? Uh, no, Same. I did not. Yeah. I, I did not see any of it. And I think they were on, too. They yeah. were on. Maybe NFL Network I think it. so, yeah. Uh, I, I, yesterday I tried to watch the Colts um, and, and the Panthers. I don't know. i got to have a hook. i got to have something that gets me going. Finally found the Broncos and the Vikings. Took you a while. Yeah, and you know what? And I'm not alone either. And I know mm-hmm. that um, you know maybe it's just my demographic. I didn't even think to look at 8.3. Right. You know, I looked here on the NFL Network. I looked at Channel 8, and they had... I think it was a golf, maybe? Probably. Whatever they had. they, they So I looked at the, the TV guide. It's not a guide anymore. What do you call that thing on your TV? Listings? Yeah. Um, I called a guide. Do you? Yeah, it's a guide. Did you used to have to cut out the paper oh, when it yeah. came on? What day did it come? The guide? Saturday paper for us, I think? Regardless. Um, but it's, yeah, there was nothing on channel. Well, the NFL Network's carrying us. So we're set. We got it. We got the game. And at um, 3 o'clock, this is blacked out in your area. What? If you were to listen to your partner last week, I explained this, that it will be blacked out 
But but yes, I, I was okay with that because I knew KCCI had the game. But we also talked about the dot twos, and sometimes yeah, it goes through the overflows. Them, yeah. Or, yeah. Well, I, but you got there. I did with about nine minutes left uh, in the um, in the first in the first quarter, and watched the rest of it. Look, the Vi- the Vikings' depth is a concern. I yeah, think. Vikings didn't play anybody. I mean, played mm-hmm. nobody. Um, and the Broncos played some guys. I mean, Jerry Judy played, Hamler played, both quarterbacks played. Uh, the defense didn't play. I don't think uh, McManus did. Um, Drew Locke looked good. But again, Vikings didn't play anybody, nobody on defense. Kirk Cousins didn't play. Cook didn't play. Thielen didn't play. Jefferson didn't play. Uh, Smith didn't play. And none of their skill guys played. So I don't know what to take away for the Vikings other than maybe they better not get hurt because the depth didn't look real shiny. Um, Rose, the running back, who I don't recall, I don't think I've ever heard of him, Rose Jr., he was good. Uh, getting appreciable play. Had a hundred yards, right? He had a lot of yards. Yeah. I don't know what it was, but um, and he's a he's a um, he punishes you. He'll take on some tackles. So, anyways, the NFL uh, from the first weekend. My big takeaway was was your Chicago Bears. I'm right there with you. Your Broncos. It's a crazy quarterback controversy here situation. You have Teddy Bridgewater. You know, it doesn't have a ton of upside. Mm-hmm. He is competent. Yep. That's maybe about as high as you can go with him. And then you have Drew Locke, yep. who's inconsistent. Oh, I'll say. He's got a million-dollar arm, uh-huh. though. He can move around. He can make uh-huh. plays. And you got weapons. Yes. you got weapons on that offensive team. Maybe as good as they've ever had. Is that a stretch? Well, Terrell Davis and Rod Smith and Shannon Sharp. That was and, pretty good. Yeah, and Ed McCaffrey and... Um, it's a good group. Yeah, that's a good group. There's a lot of upside. Trent, there's a lot of dudes on this team. I agree with you. Noah Fant can be an Noah all Noah Fant is going to have a breakout year. Noah Fant had a breakout year last year. He I can thought. be one of the best five tight ends in the league for Ten a five for sure. For a five year period. Okay. He's he's got that kind of upside. Don't disagree with On the outside, Jerry Judy. Yes. Couldn't catch it. Couldn't catch ball. Save his life last year. Hamler is fast. He's just, he out. He had a quicker time at the combine than Tyree Kill. Really? Different combine years. I get it. Yeah. But ran his time faster than Tyree Kill. It's a pretty good number, huh? I'll say. You got dudes. Yes. You Cortland got Sutton. Offensive line is good. Fine. Nothing wrong with it. Okay. Yes. So who do you go with? You get the call. Me or Ken? Ken? Oh my. Ken. Week one, who are we starting? Drew Locke. You're going back to Drew, Drew Locke. And, and the you defense love the is arm. good, too. I do love the arm. I do love the arm. I think that this team, I can't say it because people know I'm a Bronco fan and I, I sound like a caller. <laughs> right? Somebody. And I'm not, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean I'm not, you know, criticist. Yeah, I guess I kind of am. Yeah. But you get it. Some guys are butt guys. Some are boobs, guys. You, you're an arm guy. Uh-huh. That's you are enamored. Yes, I like to hear the ball g- making a sound, shoo, just spinning through the, the air. Yeah, Elway before that. You love arms. Uh-huh. That's what you're about. Yeah, and and in this case, Drew, Drew Lock has the arm. It. Yeah, he does. So he's your guy. He's my guy. For how long? Uh, quarter. <laughs> <laughs> This is a pretty quick hook. Huh? Yeah, pretty quick hook. I think Bridgewater's fine. Anyways, I thought the biggest story of the weekend was another kick in the you-know-what's to, right in the balls uh, to uh, to Iowa State and the rest of the mm-hmm. big uh, 12 brethren, uh, the seven other teams not named Iowa State. And you know what? i got to give credit where credit is due. This is a brilliant move. 
This is a brilliant move by the ACC, the Pac-12, and the Big Ten. You know what this is about? This is about saying to the SEC, not so fast. Mm -hmm. We now have three votes who will collectively vote as one. What you guys want to do with the big uh, with the college football playoff? We'll decide. <laughs> yes, because we have more votes and more power. And you know what? If you don't like it, you guys go play your games. We don't need to play. We'll Florida, uh, Florida State. Mm-mm. We'll replace Florida State. Uh, we'll take an ACC and we'll match them up against a Pac-12 or a Big Ten school. And you, you SEC teams, play amongst yourselves. That's what this is. This is about. Power and a power grab, and for Kevin Warren, and for Klafkoff and the new commissioner of the ACC to put their collective heads together and to come up with this. It's about scheduling right now, mm-hmm. but you know what it is? It's about it's about forming a ring around these three conferences, and if it needs to be impenetrable, it can be. And from both an ACC and Pac-12 perspective. I think it makes a ton of sense, too, because those are two conferences, even with grand rights and everything else there, that were susceptible. And especially the Pac-12, if the Big Ten mm-hmm. wanted to match, mm-hmm. that's where they were going. Yep. They weren't going with the remaining eight teams. of the. They weren't going there. They weren't going to Kansas. They weren't going to Iowa State. That's nope. not how you go back. They were going to go big if they were going to do something. And now, for the time being... I don't think they do anything. It's hitting the pause button. They, absolutely, they've shored they've shored up their defenses, mm-hmm. literally, and the SEC no longer can come in here and dictate how college football is going to be run because it looked like they were trying to assimilate all the power. They bring the two bell cows from the Big Twelve and add them to an already impressive conference, right in the SEC, and now for the. Um, for these three other conferences to come together as one, whether that be to tap the brakes on the college football playoff expansion plan or whatever plan Sankey and company in the SEC were working on, now they have to get by the three-headed monster that is the Big Ten, the ACC, and the Pac-12. And that's what this is, in my opinion. This was awful news for the Big 12. They weren't even mentioned in the release. Not even mentioned. You mentioned the structure that is being built now, and that's the most important part here. You have, what, 16 teams, including Notre Dame and the ACC, the 14, mm-hmm. and then the 12. You got, for all intents and purposes, 42 teams against the 16 yep. of the SEC. And this was something that bothered a lot of people right away. And one of the few things that the you could, I thought, blow a pretty big hole in the 12-team Happening, happening sooner rather than later for the college football playoff was, well, it's not going out for bid. ESPN just gets all these extra games. You go from three playoff games to 11. Those eight extra games, let's go to ESPN. They're not going to pay top dollar for that. Now, <laughs> Not when they're bidding against themselves. Right. They will have to. Uh-huh. And that's why the Big 12 and the Pac-12 move. say, yes, we're going to go this uh-huh. direction. And even though ACC is not a vault with Fox... They want the most money, too. Mm-hmm. And when they're locked into this crappy deal through 36, yep. they want to find a way to make money. But they're money. locked into it with ESPN. With ESPN. But college football playoff money, that can come from mm-hmm. anywhere. Yeah. And that can come from Fox or mm-hmm. NBC or CBS or streaming. This is why I think most importantly, this makes a ton of sense for these three conferences. Uh, there, there's one Hail Mary for, for the Big 12. And, and um, this is kind of a Ryan Saunders take. Uh-oh. 
right? I mean, I had one of those off the walls. I, this won't be my first one. I'm not saying it's it's going to happen. I'm bracing myself. Well, you should because I put I've given this a lot of thought, and I and I think I'm right. But I thought I had the right coach for Iowa State, um, and he did make sense at least to me. And one other guy, one other guy agreed with me. <laughs> one, <laughs> one for five hundred thousand. Um, and you know what it is. You know who it is. A team? Yes, a school. There's only one. A school? Yes. To join up with the remaining eight? And one more. I mean, what? I don't care who it is. Bring Houston. So you got nine and you need one more. Oh, Notre Dame? Yep. <laughs> you think Notre Dame is joining? No, I don't. I think that's the only... I think that Bob Bowlesby has no choice. And I think the rest of the athletic directors have no choice. So they make $350 million now. Say they can keep that money. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame, what's it going to cost? You want $100? We, you want to be the highest paid... College football, our, our, our athletic program, would 100 do? And we'll split the rest, and you come join us to, to keep our relevance? But here's the thing. Bob Bowlesby, whatever you're doing, keep it to yourself because you've embarrassed yourself. To, oh, you had very productive meetings with Oklahoma and Texas. I thought the betting went very well. The very next morning, they left, right? Two weeks ago, uh, Klafkoff and Bowlesby spent six hours together. Again, very productive meetings. Uh, I came away feeling, uh, feeling much better about where we're at. Two weeks later, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 form an alliance, and you aren't mentioned. So whatever you're doing behind the scenes, keep it to yourself until it's done. But the only thing, Trent, listen, I don't think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But if you're at your own 45-yard line, and there's six seconds on the clock, and you're down seven, you throw a Hail Mary. Right? And this is the Hail Mary. This is the Hail Mary. And Notre Dame, what's it take? Do you, what, do you need $100 million? And you know what? Here's another thing. Well, I'll sweeten the pot even further. You don't have to play an entire Big 12 schedule. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right? You just play five or six and... They play per- five ACC right now. Okay. Whatever they want. It, um, you play some Big 12 games and the percentage, your winning percentage, will use be used for you and you only to see if you qualify for the Big 12 championship. You have to do whatever it takes to get them. Do I think they will come? No. But I think that's the only prayer. Where else are they going? They're not even included in these discussions. They have a 15-year grant rights in front of them, though. Here's too. the thing. And you know what it costs to get out of? A hundred million dollars. hundred million. Because you, as I was coming up with in my head, that was one of the roadblocks. Well, where are you going to get the hundred million? It just doesn't grow on trees. Well, here's the thought for you. Texas and Oklahoma are about to write check for 150 million. Big 12, you keep 50, you write a hundred million dollar check to get Notre Dame. There's another thing that you have to, another carrot you have to dangle. But now all of a sudden, you're checking these boxes. That hundred million dollar check for Notre Dame to get out before 2036, Oklahoma and Texas are paying for that. The rest of the 50 million is split amongst the remaining eight schools. And you stay relevant. That's the only way. What does this get for Notre Dame, though? Money. They're the highest paid. Co- they're the highest paid school athletic department in college sports. At a hundred, I don't know if it's a hundred million dollars. What is it going to take? Write the check. Ask them. But independence, as we continue to see, and you read any story about what that means to them, independence is more important than any kind of structure uh-huh. that is there. Uh-huh. You're taking away that independence. You're taking away right. that ability. You're also and this is a huge component, too, for Notre Dame. I, I think but everything it's everything has a price. It does. But they don't want to be looked at as just another Midwest institution. They are a national brand. Mm-hmm. And when you're then playing Oklahoma State 
and Kansas State and Iowa State uh-huh. and Kansas, that takes away that national appeal. That but takes away but the you've national appeal. Also, brand. got you. You can play your Navy if the if the Pac-12 is willing to still play you. If whatever the whatever your matchup de jour is for Notre Dame, if they're willing to still play those games. Look, I, it's a prayer. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm saying I've tried to come up with something over the weekend when I saw this on Friday. It's just a, I just, said it a million times. It's true. We're two weeks away, three weeks away from the start of the most exciting time in the history of Iowa State football. Mm-hmm. And this. And Oklahoma State feels pretty good about their team. And the Texas schools, they're all going through this because they're all left out. The music has stopped and there's no chairs. What can you do? Think outside the box. Notre Dame is clearly that. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you have to ask, what will it take? I think this is a false start that doesn't even get the snap it off. Might of the it might not, but you know what? Ask. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Ask. You want to be the highest paid athletic department by a long shot, mm-hmm. we'll write the check. We'll gladly, because you know what? Even if you split what's left of that, it's going to be more than what you're going to get if you're a glorified AAC. And that's what it's looking like. Thanks for the phone call, Mr. Bullsby. We're well, good. at least he tried. Yes. At least he tried. I know saying he hasn't tried You know already. what? Hail Mary seldom work. Right. 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 For everyone, everyone that you see Absolutely. the highlight of, there's, there's a bunch that go the other way. Yeah. And then if you have a placement official, one guy waves it off, the other guy says touchdown. <laughs> right. uh, let's get Taylor in here. Taylor's been very patient. That's my Hail Mary. I, I, I mean, I'm not crazy. You're not crazy. It's, it's not going to happen. It's an Adam. Yeah. I don't think it is either, but Bullsby, do something. But whatever you're doing, don't tell us. <laughs> you just look worse. Taylor, welcome to the program. So here's my Hail Mary. Since the Big 12 was left out, let's say those three other conferences create a super league how many teams is the sec short of being 24 to make it a well eight right now so you try to get if that those four teams create or three leagues create a super league there's the eight teams easy that just slide right into the sec well yeah perfect world that would be the case um i don't know if they're going to go any further i don't i i I just think now that these three conferences are together, I think like Trent said, I think maybe we are at a point where expansion I, I Taylor, thanks for the call. I, I don't see them join I mean, I like the idea in one respect. And and that's something just, that I think I, Notre Dame has more chance. You know, when we were going through these scenarios over the last few summers and what ultimately is going to happen, it was very neat and succinct to just say, Well, just it's just four sixteen team conferences. Right. But it's rarely like that. It's really rarely as cut and dry mm-hmm. as just an even number that makes a lot of sense mathematically, and that's what you do. Because it doesn't mean automatically there's 64 teams that TV networks mm-hmm. and conferences believe are viable to make a major league, if you will, right. of college football. And because of that, yeah, it would make sense on the surface. All right, you got this group that's doing their thing. You got another group, hey, the SEC, and they get into different markets and yada 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 here we are but it's not as easy as that it's not as simple as hey we had really good ratings in the fiesta bowl they should invite us yeah it's not what the reality of this is and here's the other thing with notre dame let them keep nbc and you know what your big 12 schools that happen to have to have to go to south bend you're on nbc those weekends it's not crazy it's you've got the hundred million coming from Oklahoma and Texas. You pay that to no, for Notre Dame. Notre Dame doesn't have to write that check. The the remaining eight write that check. 
Hail Mary time. Scott Dockerman time, actually. He's next. Miller and Condren with you until noon. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.0. Store for details. Now back to Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM. Here's Ken and Trent. All right, welcome back. Just past 1030 Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. Let's get to Scott Dockerman. He was at uh, Kinnick a couple of times, Friday for Media Day. Uh, and then Saturday, or in Iowa City anyways, but Kinnick on Saturday for Kids Day. Watch practice. Uh, Scott, uh, Trent, and Ken, thanks for coming on, Doc. We appreciate it. I think there's probably a lot of Hawkeye fans that put their head on their pillow on Saturday, maybe slept a little better knowing that their biggest concern, I get it, it was a practice, but uh, Spencer Petrus maybe, maybe, maybe let them sleep a little sounder, a little easier, knowing that, you know what, maybe he has taken some steps forward. Uh, you watched him last year. You saw him Saturday. Uh, did you see the steps that most feel he took? Oh, I think so. Um, I, I just I don't know that anybody sleeps sound anymore because then they've got to be upset about the defense. So before they knew it was the other. No, it, they, he looked a lot better. And I thought he looked more decisive, more accurate. Now, clearly, I guess it was his best practice. So I take that for what it's worth. But, uh, but you know, in a scrimmage situation, um, he was able to do what he needed to do for Iowa to, to move up and down the field. And uh, he hit some really big passes. I, you know, hit one to Arlen Bruce that was a really good one in stride. Kind of, and then another one. Which uh, you know had Jack Campbell locked up in one on one with Tyler Goodson and was able to kind of get the ball past Campbell and and uh, you know had some other really nice throws. So I, I thought he looked really good, and that was the first time I'd seen the offense actually uh, you know perform better than the defense at one of these events. And um, I don't and Phil Parker wasn't real thrilled after the game <laughs> after the scrimmage. I can tell you that. Yeah, no no surprise there that Phil was upset with the way his defense played. Is it? Something where it was guys banged up, or is it up front? That was the biggest question mark with this team, that front four, what they were going to be. Is it easy to pinpoint that was the problem? Not really, and I don't think the first defense was that bad. I think uh, really, um, you know, some of the interior I think is still a little bit of a concern. And and now Noah Shannon wasn't out there. He was just a little bit banged up and but I don't think the hopes of the season is going to be pinned on his shoulders. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, you know, by and large, they are going against maybe as good of an interior trio mm-hmm. as you'll find in the country, entitled Linderbaum, Cody Entz, and Justin Britt. So, you know, that's to be somewhat expected. But, you know, I, I thought that the, the defense, while it didn't dominate, it, it looked good at times. So there was some really good edge rush uh, pressure. I thought from John Wagner, Zach Van Valkenburg, and Joe Evans especially. So I, I, I don't think there's a ton to be worried about, but I think you're going to worry no matter what. And to me, some of the uh, – there was a, just some half uh, – I don't know what I could say – half butt <laughs> performances on the second and third teams that I think that Phil will probably light into. Terry Roberts was not one of them. Right. 
a lot of the other guys were. Yeah, apparently he had very good practice. Uh, left tackle, Doc, looks as though, and you wrote about it in your recap at The Athletic, uh, that that of the offensive line, I know the shooter is out, and we'll see what uh, you know where his place is once he gets back from his, uh, from his uh, off-the-field injury. Uh, but Mason Richmond took every snap, apparently, at, uh, at left tackle. Does, what, is, what does this mean um, as far as uh, his immediate future? I think it means that he's probably going to be the left tackle. Uh, there was no trading out. We didn't see uh, uh, Jack Plum move in there. We didn't see Dick DeYoung slide over. It was all on the first team. It was uh, 100% Mitch Rich or uh, Mason Richmond. And I think what you do is you just look at it, and, and that's what you got, you got to accept. Now, they've moved everybody around. They don't want to name him that. And, and of course, what what Ferentz has said is, hey, you know, Jack's been working in there too. But, but if you're in a, in a public situation like that, um, you want to either move people around or you want to see what somebody can do. And I thought he was pretty good. I really did. So uh, I don't think that would be any surprise to me. He was a second teamer last year as a true freshman. And he, uh, and I remember Tim Polisek talking to him before he left. And he was like, hey, this Richmond guy's really good. You know, mm-hmm. watch out for him. So, he was one of the six or seven guys you kind of thought going into the season was going to have a chance. But if anybody was going to move up, it was going to be him, and, and that's where he seems to be right now. So is it Nick DeYoung going to be the right tackle? Is Jack Plum maybe bounce over there if Richmond does win this job at left tackle? And how about depth? Because we see a true freshman also listed there in Connor Colby. The tackle position yeah, gets a little scary early. Well, certainly they are um, inexperienced. And that's that's for sure. I mean, Plum's the only one who started a game in, in college, and he started two at right tackle. Uh, the other day, it was largely Nick DeYoung at right tackle, which is where he was all spring. So I would say he's probably got the edge there. Uh, but, you know, Jack Plum could very well be kind of the swing guy on the outside, where if, say, they need a guard, um, it'll be fascinating to see if Mitch, uh, Mitch, I, keep, I keep saying that, but Mason Richmond <laughs> moves inside and maybe Jack Plum moves there, or if uh, they really like what Mason Richmond does at left tackle, it very well could just be those two. So uh, I think Plum is probably your number three. Connor Colby has worked exclusively at right tackle, but remember he was there in the spring, and this guy is a, is a beast. I mean, he's really big and physical and and so he's not your typical uh, true freshman there. I mean, not that he's Tristan Worfs, but um, he's he's probably Brian Bulaga type. So I, I don't think big picture. Now, this year it might be a concern, but I think in the future he'll be just fine. Uh, Spencer Petrus' best day. Uh, can't say the same, apparently, for both Padilla and Hogan, Doc. Your thoughts on the uh, two guys uh, that most thought would, uh, and particularly Padilla, would push Spencer Petrus. Backup quarterbacks, what did you see? Uh, I thought they were capable. I thought that they were okay. I didn't think they were bad or anything. I just thought Spencer Petrus showed more poise. I thought he showed more uh, ability, I guess it was, and 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 to be able to do the, all the things that they need him to do out of that position. And Alex Padilla looked fine, and and uh, I just uh, I think we all went into this fall camp saying it's Spencer Peters' job is just a matter of how does uh, does Alex Padilla close the gap, and we really don't know um, how the other practices have gone. You know, they could say, well, Spencer's the starter, okay, but. but 
that one small sample size, I thought Spencer Petras was better. And but if the, if he for whatever reason has to leave the game, uh, then I don't think they're in horrible hands with Alex Padilla either. I think he looked he looked good enough to where I think you go in and you say, yeah, he, he can do what you need him to do to win some games. Doc, we know about Tyler Goodson. We know about the backup Ivory Kelly Martin health aside, mm-hmm. and what he can be and how dynamic he can be as a back. Gavin Williams here in Central Iowa, we know him. Southeast spoke by way of Dowling Catholic. But how about the other Williams? LaShawn Williams, what you saw to him, he kind of burst onto the scene on Saturday. He was probably the most impressive offensive player we saw wow. the other day. and did a lot of great things. And he's got the right build. He's got speed. He's got moves. He's got it all, and he's. I think he's the heaviest, or he's right up there with Gavin Williams is the heaviest mm. of the backs. And, and so he did a lot of great things to where you look at him and go, you know, you, you might want to try to get him on the field if you can, too. And, and I don't think there's much of a drop-off. Um, you know, maybe Goods is the best, of course, but I think out of the other three, it's really close. that they're, They all looked apart. And, and one guy who actually surprised me is, uh, you know, from Des Moines uh, North there, uh, Devin Hilson. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everybody kind of wondered, you know, is he – you know, where's he going to end up? Well, he, he showed some really good hands. He caught one pass in warm-ups where he had to, it was like way to the home and he caught it one-handed and made a couple of good moves on some runs. So, I, I, you know, I don't know if he'll end up at running back or if he'll move, but I, I think you looked at him and said, okay, this guy's an athlete. He's, wow. he's in good shape. So, But I, I think after they're in okay to good territory, even beyond Tyler Goodson, it would be good to see the, the specifically the Williams, the two Williams, getting some stamps, uh, you know, against Colorado State and Kent State kind of in games three and four. Uh, Caleb Schudek, it's his gig. Got a strong leg, Doc. What did you see out of the now uh, anointed kicker for the Hawks? I didn't really watch much of it. Um, you know, they. I don't think – I'm trying to remember if they even did much or if any field goal kicking because I was doing some other stuff. But uh, he – I talked to, you know, LeVar Woods on Friday quite a bit about Caleb and – He's, he's bought in. He loves him. He thinks he's great. And uh, he said all along it was really close between him and, and Keith Duncan. And kind of the point I, I relayed was, look, uh, you know, Keith's made a lot of big kicks for you over the years. Um, is Caleb going to be able to do that if it's a two-point game in, in Ames or in Madison? Is is he capable of doing that? He believes he is. So uh, he's got a stronger leg than Keith Duncan. He could, you know, that's why he was a kickoff specialist. But uh, we'll just have to see it in the game, you know, and that's really where it matters the most. So, uh, Doc, one more on the offensive side, another number 10 from Shudak over to Arlen Bruce. He comes in. Mm-hmm. We saw him up close and personal this past year. Just a dude that makes plays. It doesn't matter. Last year in the semifinal victory against Dowling, they put him on defense, and he has an interception to seal the game. He is always seemingly involved in things. How much of a piece is this offense going to be? Is it strictly kind of a gadget formation, part of the Wildcat? Or is there more, do you think, this year for Arlen Bruce? I think there's a lot for him. He really, uh, you know, he played primarily outside receiver the other day. Now, they're not going to show us what he does in the Wildcat, which I know he does work with it, and some of the other things. But he was he was catching balls. He was playing well. He was working kind of first and second unit. So he's got a really nice pass from Spencer Petrus, a one-on-one on a go route down the sideline. So I think it's very similar. So he's, I would probably put him as the number five receiver right now. And uh, that's a place where sometimes guys get in and the thought that he could do more than 
just play receiver, and he can line up at different places, suggests to me he's going to get more snaps than, say, what uh, Oliver Martin got two years ago as the number five receiver. So, and, and, and to top it off, there were four really good receivers before Oliver Martin, whereas this year they've still got um, some inexperience, I guess. So I, I think Arlen Bruce has a place. I think Keegan Johnson has a, a very strong place on this team. And But the top three look to be Tracy, Regani, and, and Charlie Jones at this point. Will you get another look at him, Doc, or was that it? Yeah, right now, that's it. Uh, you know, now if they want to call me and say, "Hey, you can you practice," uh, I'll I'll say sure. When yeah. you need me there, if you need me there five minutes ago, I'll get a time machine. But no, they, <laughs> that's our only open view right now. Gotcha, uh, Doc. You had a busy back to back to back days. Let's go to Thursday. Uh, you're in Dyersville for the Field of Dreams. Um, in, incredible, incredible event came across so well on television. Here's the thing, guys: as many people as we thought watched that game, and they did. Hall of Fame game beat it by a million people. Right. I mean, Jesus, King football wins again. But Doc, just your thoughts on what you saw: White Sox and the Yankees had to be has to be ranked pretty high on all the things that you all the events that you've been fortunate enough to cover over your career. Uh, Field of Dreams seemingly came off without a hitch. It was beautiful. It was fantastic, and I, I think I went in knowing that it, the spectacle of it would be tremendous, and I left thinking they hit a grand slam with this. And the game itself, of course, hit a grand slam, which helped you know, a million percent. But it was just the feel of it, the look, everything was exactly the way you'd want it. And then to top it off with just a, one of the more incredible games you could see in, in MLB lately and you know the, the home runs, eight of them, and, and the way it ended and then the way the Yankees came back. You couldn't have scripted it a better way, and um, it, there was only one game that I thought that I've I've covered Major League Baseball game that approached that, and that was uh, 2004 uh, season opener in Kansas City, where they were down seven to three in the bottom of the ninth and beat the White Sox. But and Garth Brooks was there and he pushed me in the back, so that was the only <laughs> other one that approached that to this. But I, I this one uh, exceeds it. It's just so incredible um, from the views to. Just, you know, everything we saw at the beginning with Kevin Costner walking out, the mm-hmm. players coming out of the corner, everybody knew that was going to happen, right? and it still was riveting. Yeah. So I think it was a credible sight. It truly was. Scott Dockerman, thank you for doing this for us. Uh, we appreciate it. We can read you and do read you at The Athletic for all of the coverage. I see David Ubbin, one of your colleagues who covered Tennessee, has been moving. He's moved over a national uh, college football writer now for The Athletic as you guys continue to uh, bring on more journalistic resources uh, at The Athletic. Great stuff, Scott Dockerman. Appreciate you coming on. We will speak with you next Monday. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. Yeah, you do the same. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic as we catch up with Doc. How about that, Trent? When I saw that, I just shook my head. You know, 5.7 million people mm-hmm. watched the game on Fox, the uh, Field of Dreams. 1.4 more million people watched the Steelers and the Cowboys on a Thursday night. Preseason based. It's football crazy, in. right? That's what it is. Uh, from, it doesn't matter. I know. You put together... Two Ulcerans, a Sunbelt team, number three versus Mac number four in a bowl game, mm. and it outdraws Duke, North Carolina college basketball. Mm. <laughs> football, football, football. King. Bow down to the king. 1045, Mitch Holtis is next. As uh, we get into the Chiefs, we'll recap uh, their 
Uh, lid lifter from uh, Saturday night with Mitch Mahomes was in for one series. I think he completed one pass, and that was it, and they turned it over uh, to the backups on the Chiefs. Miller and Condon with you on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 107. We take you up until noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KX and 106.3 FM. Mitch Holtis, the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs. Papa John's in Central Iowa. They sponsor his appearances. Back from Santa Clara in Levi Stadium, Mitch Holtis. Hello, Mitch Trenton. Ken, how are you? Good. Good, man. It was uh, That was fun. It was uh, the, fun. Uh, Nine-play, 68-yard drive. Just scored one minute, 14 to go. And then to hang on at the end, you don't normally see that kind of drama. <laughs> at the end of a preseason game, but uh, overall it was fun and really a good night for the Chiefs. No, it was a fun game to watch. Uh, you know, before we get into Kansas City, Lance made one throw and everybody went gaga, and I get it. Uh, but after that, yep. I didn't see a ton from the rookie. Your thoughts, Mitch? Well, it was kind of fun um, after that, uh, and the safety, Devin Key, blew the coverage. And but, but let's give Trey Lance some props here. I even mentioned it on the play-by-play that we saw a guy that really propelled his career against the Chiefs. I think it was 2012. His name was Russell Wilson. (laughs) He beat up Matt Flynn that year at camp, and then Seattle's history changed. Uh, So in this case, I kind of feel the same way. I think Trey Lance is going to be good, but the Chiefs started to mix a few things up on him. It was a mistake by the safety on the 80-yard touchdown. We saw his arm strength. But once things started to get mixed up on him, he was making wrong, wrong reads. He should have been picked like twice. At the end of the first and half, Mitch, it. I think it was 30, yeah. uh, 30 the Chiefs. Like inside two minutes, uh, absolutely should have been yeah. picked. Yeah, he, he's got a ways to go. Yeah. But I think they've got something there to work with. Gotcha. So we got a lot of people listening that play fantasy football. Of course, <laughs> yes, draft Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> Tyreek Hill. But what about the running back spot? And even if you assume that it's going to be Edwards Hilaire that's going to get a majority how about that backup role? Who's the number two with McKinnon coming in as a free agent? The Williams, Thompson, a lot of different names out there. Help out those fantasy guys, Mitch. Wow. I'd stay away from the rest of them fantasy-wise yeah. just because they're going to be role guys, and I'll just be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Chiefs are a bad team other than Tyreek Hill, Kelsey. <laughs> I'll take Clyde. Take Clyde and Patrick. Other than that, Coach you know, doesn't care about fantasy. He's spreading things around and wants it to be that way. But to your question, uh, Daryl Williams will be the second back, and he's the power option. He's 224. The other backs all kind of like the same, but Jarek McKinnon had a good night the other mm-hmm. night. Now, I know enough about Des Moines to know we got tons of Viking fans that drive around the capital city of Iowa. And McKinnon was really good for the Vikings in his first three years, uh, almost 1,800 all-purpose yards. And then he got went to Arizona, got injured, San Francisco injured, but he's back, and he made plays in special teams as well. And then Darwin Thompson enters the fray. That will be, I think, honest to goodness, not to give you drama here this morning, I think that will be the last decision made on this team. When they set the 53-person roster on that last that bye week, essentially, before the regular season, I think it's going to come down to that third running back and right now, too close to call. Hmm. Uh, Fountain made some plays. Uh, you, you drive around enough yeah, Des Moines yeah, to know about yeah, you yeah. and I. Uh, Fountain had a big yes, night. Yes, yes. 
Ken, you're on it, buddy. You're on it. Wave the Canadian flag because you nailed it. I do every day. Reach Fountain to me. Yes, yes, yes. And you and I fans are going, see, we knew about it. He was a captain there. I mean, he was a leader in that team, and he spent some time with the Colts. Uh, he's been with the Colts a while. I mean, this guy's not just, hey, we just got off the, the truck and Van Meter and, and showed up. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he's, he's got a shot. And if, I to- if there was one guy that you would say, well, hey, maybe we need to rethink his role possibly making this team, it is Darius Fountain. So I'm glad you brought it up. You know, another guy, Mitch, and you talked about him in one of our visits when Trent was on vacation, uh, and he jumped off my television screen when he was in there. Defensively, Wharton uh, certainly uh, certainly yeah. had a good account of himself. Great change of pace guy. for the. He, he becomes a weapon in uh, Steve Spagnuolo's creative sub-packages, and I've seen it. I, I, and he's grown into it. Like, that's the report last week or two weeks ago, whenever we had him on, where he's, he's I, I'm working at this. He's got moves, counter moves. He becomes, he's a kind of a John Randall-looking guy, but he's great to bring in on sub down, super hard to block. And that was the biggest part of the game to me, was getting pressure with four. The Chiefs haven't done that much uh, in recent years. And if you can get pressure with four, it can become decimating to the other team. It's what happened to us in Super Bowl 55. That's what Tampa Bay did. You drop seven into coverage, and you got an issue uh, if you're on the offensive side. So him and Mike Dana. Dana didn't get the marks, but if you review the video, you'll see Mike Dana all over that game. And he was also featured in our reports. Mm-hmm. Shane Bouchel, what kind of chances he got to stick around, at the very least be you know, a long-time backup in this league, and had to be great for him get that game-winning drive late? Well, you guys listen to the game and watch the game. Uh, that was big for him, however. Anthony Gordon, yeah. the kid from Washington State, looked really good. He did. Yep. Um, he he's if he doesn't make it with us, his audition tape there uh, was really good. And again, Trent, uh, too close to call. The Chiefs are only going to put two quarterbacks on the fifty-three. That's become kind of the thing of Vogue because you need that third quarterback spot someplace else. And so, uh, but it's a race to the practice squad. And right now, Bouchelle and Gordon are neck and neck. Well, uh, Mitch, we got uh, well, last thing before we talk about Papa John's. Uh, the NFL. Some teams are making some cuts. Do you expect the Chiefs to, um, you know, to to follow a similar path here in the next couple of days? No. If anything, there would be just some shifting. Gotcha. If they find a guy to shift off and on, that would be that. But I really don't expect a whole lot. This is a tight week, you guys. Uh, three days of practice. This, I mean, they're in practice right now. They go tomorrow, go Wednesday, military appreciation. Then we break camp, kick off lunch, and run to the bus. And we play Friday night. Mm-hmm. This is not a week to make a whole bunch of roster moves because basically we got to just the old West Point. Keep whatever's in front of you. And right now what's in front of us is the tyranny of the urgent. Uh, let's talk about Papa John's um, and the Donaldsons. Yep. I'm telling you, Saturday night games, Friday night games, even oh, though it's right. a preseason people love it's become tradition. Like, let's uh, watch or listen to this game or both, and let's have some pizza. Uh, they've got this one-top special right now. Enjoy it this week. Um, it's $12 for a, a single-top large, I believe. Check it out at papajones.com. They still have the, the Parma Papadilla, which is awesome, man. It's good stuff. And then yes. there's something under the tent they won't tell me about. Ah. The, secret, the secret lab in Johnston. That, yes. But it will unveil it hopefully next week. Good stuff. Edge of our seat, pins and needles until then. Let's do this again tomorrow, (laughs) shall we? (laughs) We shall. Thanks, guys. Good to talk to you. Mitch Holtz is the voice of the Kansas City Chiefs, Papa John's. Sponsors are daily appearances with Mitch Holtz.
Love the segment. Another box to check as we inch our way to football. We're getting there. Indeed we are. But baseball hasn't left us, and we're going to get into that when we come back. Matt Snyder, CBSSports.com. We'll catch up on uh, MLB as we take you until noon. On Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.